Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. everyone and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business and more. My name is Nick Frank, one of the owners of Frank Brothers Guitar Company, and I'm joined by my co-host Aaron Goff of Goff Custom Knives. How are you? Going good, mate. How about you? Uh, good. Yeah. Uh, what's, uh, what's new with you? Oh, this week's been very productive, actually, the last week since we talked last. Lots of production. Uh, hey, that, I like to hear that. Yeah, so I, I got cranking um, on machining blades. So I sent out a big batch of blades to DLC, which is fantastic. Um, they all looked good. Uh, I, f- I launched, I officially launched my custom handle scales last week. You did? As well, yeah. How, what does an official launch look like? Well, I just told all my customers about it on an ah. emailing list, right? So nice. Yeah, so I've got a whole bunch of those to do now, which should be fun. Um, yeah, it's been, been a good week. How about That's you? super cool. Uh, same. We made some progress with the Haas, Ooh. and um, I've been continuing to think about uh, doing bigger batch of production, which mm. I'm I'm getting more excited about. Okay. Um, and uh, just been cruising. Been a pretty decent week. Nice. Right? I started biking to work. Ooh. That feels nice. Dude, I almost you... hit a raccoon last night. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad. You like smash over head first into an angry raccoon. I feel like that would go badly. Yeah, I knocked. Uh, I, I was driving by a garbage pail and uh, scared him off. Know, I I scared the apple core out of his mouth or something. He wasn't happy about it. I've seen you fight. You would lose that fight. I would lose a fight to a raccoon, one hundred percent. These city raccoons mean business, right? Nice. So. Um, are you thinking about doing more production batches then? Yes. So uh, thinking about basically just batching parts. So mm. as opposed to thinking about it necessarily as batching the guitars themselves, what I want to do is create a uh, an inventory of machined bodies 
uh, machine right. like necks with truss rods in them, headstock overlays, tops and backs. I, I have some of this already done. I've been pulling from it, and it makes production so much smoother. So I just want right. to I want to take that concept to the next level, so that more of what I'm doing is I'm I'm sort of kanbaning bodies that have been machined and are ready to accept tops and backs. So right. like I that's what's going to cue production. Uh, otherwise, I'm I'm taking from pulling from inventory to as, to assemble essentially in woodwork custom guitars. Right. Sounds awesome. Sounds like a good yeah. Idea. I'm I'm pretty hyped about it. Um, it's going to be because we do so much custom. There's so many options. Mm. Uh, but I still I think it'll work. Like right now, some of the custom options include like certain binding choices. So binding is the framing around the guitar. So you often see it in white, or we offer tortoise shell, right. um, multiply, which is like white, black, white. Uh, but you know, right now I have that stuff already ready to pull from. So the other things would be, you know, is the customer getting a top uh, wood? Is that or is their top wood maple? Is it Karina? Right. Right. Is it? Um, I don't know. So you'll have like curly book, book matched blanks already glued yeah, up I, and ready to go, and then you can laminate them onto a body. Exactly. Um, cut the slots for the for the binding. Chuck the binding in. Yeah. Right. If I have all that stuff prepped, then I should be able to do more assemble essentially mm -hmm. more guitars in a a week. Right. I think it makes a lot of sense. I I personally really like the idea of yeah stocking parts internally and then being your own customer. Like, exactly. Yeah. And that when you when you break exactly. down a custom offering into all of the components you know so for me if i was to keep every possible handle skill combination ready and pre-laminated it'd be crazy i've got i've already got three and a half thousand combinations wow. um yeah like it, it would be nuts but if i keep like the scales and the liners separately and everything's set up so that i can just you know assemble them glue them up really quickly on demand then it becomes much much simpler so i think totally. it makes a lot of sense yeah, um, because uh, it, it's not custom until it's basically been assembled. Yeah, you yeah, and you have to always them. kind of keep your individual the the sheer number of your individual components is always going to be a bit limited because otherwise, it just gets nuts. Like you can't yeah. offer every possible thing. So. No, I mean it's funny. Um, we I don't know if you remember this, but when we started the business like I think maybe seven years ago, hmm. we didn't offer customization at all. Right. <laughs> and we've gone, we've let that, you know, that pendulum has swung the complete opposite direction. <laughs> right. I don't think it's going to swing back. I don't know why I'm calling it a pendulum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like when you're getting started, you've got enough things to manage um, besides like giving everyone every option. I think like when you're starting out, doing a very limited range makes sense. But then mm -hmm. once you've got that process down, it totally makes sense to let customers choose. Like that's yeah, I mean, and it was it's easy to not do custom at the beginning when you don't have any customers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you want to make guitars so that people can be like, I like that, I want one. You know, yeah. Whereas now everybody knows what the guitars look like and they want to make their own version of it. Yeah, I get it. Yes. Yeah, nice. Um, so, and yeah, so then also we, we actually made some chips in the Haas. Oh, not did, in wood. Okay. Did you <laughs> throw a tool, any tool holders or break any tools yet? No. Nice. Good job, buddy. 
well, uh, we used one tool. Um, yeah. So Mark was in, we, um, on Saturday and Sunday and I came up in on Sunday and, uh, put, we put the fixture plate onto the Haas. So that's the big phenolic sheet, right? Exactly. So Mark had on the axes had cut it to shape and, uh, surfaced it on, on, two sides so that we have a ref a level surface right um and he routed sort of um vacuum channels mm, okay in on the bottom uh and then we sandwiched that uh but um with a piece of quarter inch phenolic right right just to capture that make it airtight exactly right. you know and it's it's um uh got the what do you call the the gasket material right around the outside yeah, uh, around the actual individual um, channels, mm, vacuum okay. veins, whatever you, you call them in there. Right. But um, so then uh, the next step was to countersink the bolts that the bolt heads that are uh, fixing the fixture plate to the uh, the Saunders fixture plate. Mm, mm-hmm. got fixture plate on fixture plate action. <laughs> right. Um, and so that we did on the Haas and we're going to surface the whole thing after. Uh, yeah. Well. Bolt it down, surface it, make sure it's flat. Yeah. So to do the, um, countersinks because the initial holes were drilled on the axes right. for the bolts, uh, we use the probe to indicate and find where the hole is, the find mm-hmm. the center of the hole and set that as our G54. So we probed the, the probed a hole. Ran the, ran program, the program to countersink right. it, probed the next hole. And we did that. I forget how many holes there were, but um, it was yeah. super fun. It'd be pretty quick using the probe. It, too. Was, it was. I mean, it took less than five minutes per hole. Right. Nice. And, you know, I was like taking, being careful, making sure I wasn't making any mistakes. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know. But Which is so good. fun. It's a good idea. It, it ran beautifully. Nice. As you'd expect. Uh, and now we've got a bunch of countersunk holes. Like I've never been so excited for a countersunk hole. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when you're getting used to a new tool, you know, like something that would be utterly trivial on a different tool. You're like fawning about, you probably went home and you told your wife, like we made holes. For the <laughs> I know Mark was like, it's so stupid that we're excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's a big, fun, dangerous machine. Like what's yeah, not to be excited it, about? Exactly. It was, it was a big step making, you know, the first cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice, man. And it's great to operate. I mean, you know, I'm getting used to the, the control, the li- very limited use uh, that, that I've done with it. Yep. Like just jogging it around is different. Using a jog wheel is different. Oh, it's so um, nice, right? It is nice. Yeah. Um, I will say it's kind of like, you know, you have to like, you press the um, remote jog or handle jog rather, and then you have to select your axes yep. that you're, that you're going to jog. I, I feel like I've seen this on other machines. I've never, I haven't played with other uh, VMCs, but a, a, a toggle switch to switch to the axes versus a button. Oh. That way, by at first glance at the actual control, you know exactly what, um, what axes you're selected. Yeah. And I think the same with rapids too. You see this with the, it's a toggle switch. Like, yes. Um, that seems to be like, I'm, I'm not chirping this thing already. <laughs> but um, I feel like that that would that's going to be a mistake I make. I'm in the right. wrong axis axes. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Fidal has a rotary switch for each of those things. For um for feed override and spindle override, it has um a rotary switch with no stops. Like it's just a smooth one. Oh cool. <clears throat> for um rapid override and for axis selection and axis increment selection for jogging, um, those are like rotary switches with like detents. Yeah, that see that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I can use that blind. Like I can have my head in the machine looking at something with my hand you know, which, on the on the yeah. pendant and I'll like yeah, change between axes and, and no problems at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really that's like my that. that's my initial first um, you know first complaint. Yes. So I wouldn't even call it a complaint. It's just an interesting yeah. uh, choice. I think on the Haas, if you get the remote pendant option, uh I think that has rotary switches. Okay. Um, cool. But you might be right. I'll have to look at that. I opted for to not get that because the machine's so small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but I, I agree with you. It is really nice to be able to operate the, for jogging in particular. It's really nice to be able to operate it without looking at it. Yeah. Without looking at the screen too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just more uh, um, tactile or is that the right word? Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Like you just more hands on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it is really cool. Like coming from the axes, uh, the, <laughs> the, the controller is very limited. Right, you have to press um, a button each time you want to jog, right? Like yeah, you have to hold a, a button. Um, yeah, for, it's brutal. Yeah, it's it's a little a little antiquated. You can say it. It's shit. <laughs> it's shit. It's shit yeah. now. It's shit now. Yeah, having I've, the jog wheel makes a huge difference. Jog wheel's cool. I didn't. I didn't know how I would feel about it. Um, yeah, I I've like never it. used the Haas one, but on the Fidal, it feels like a mechanical mill. Like it feels like a manual mill. Oh, like you're just turning cool. the handle, and the machine it's is just got moving. Got that much resistance? It's not like super resistance, but the machine just like when you turn the handle, the machine moves. It feels mm. very visceral. It feels like those right. two things are connected. You know? That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I re- would really say the same for this. Hmm. Um, the other thing that's interesting getting used to is uh, which direction. Like if you're turning it yeah, clockwise, yeah. it's the the table's moving, you know, left. Right. Well, just to make my life hard, for some reason, my two fidels are opposite. No. Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know why. Um, but yeah, they're they're backwards. Uh, no, that's so weird i don't know why you know like different software revisions or something different setup i could probably fix it like it might just right. be that the jog wheels gotten replaced on one of them and it's been wide up backwards <laughs> um that would be too funny yeah I, I could probably fix it but honestly i never even think about it i just like turn it for a second and i see which way yeah. it's moving and then... yeah yeah uh i mean i've never i haven't put this thing on i haven't jogged something where it's like so close to the table except for the probe i just did but by that, I'm on like I'm jogging a thou at a time. Yeah. So if you yeah. could go down a little, it's not gonna you're not gonna crash. Yeah. Um, I've only broken one probe time. So. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. How much is it's a, the Hamer? Yeah. So I have like um, the Hamer 3D Taster, which is like a three directional dial indicator, and that yeah, thing is that's so cool. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, I mean they're not the probe tips aren't that expensive. I think they're like sixty, seventy bucks. Okay, um, yeah. And that's for like a a steel tip with a like a ceramic um, fusible link, so it's it's like a, a ceramic 
rod that's meant to be fragile. So it right. fails before you damage the indicator. Kind of like a dial indicator has like a, a break point. Yeah. On the yeah. tip. Um, that's cool. Yeah. One thing that surprised me about the probe is how fast it rams into something <laughs> to right. probe it. Like I, I was like, oh, I'll get used to that. But every time I'm like, oh, yeah, you think right? it's going to crash. Right. Yeah. It's like, I think you can, itself. right. I think you can remove it, like turn it down. I think, I think Mark was saying that he thought that too. Um, yeah. I would like to do that. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't seem reasonable. Right. I mean, maybe if you were jogging, if you were like, uh, probing a really big bore, you'd want it to move that fast. Or if you're doing like in-process probing, where you're yes, like not even yeah. watching it, it's just probing. Yeah, I get it. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's obviously set up so that it can stop itself fast enough to prevent a crash. So yeah. it's fine. But yeah, I get what you mean. You're, it's still like viscerally, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing was we probed, a, we would like probe a hole and that sets G54 to zero. Mm-hmm. And you can see on the control, you can ch- check like, position and a couple times x was 0.0000 and y was 0.0001 i was like what the hell it's supposed to be zeroing itself but it wasn't so now i'm chasing i'm chasing tents (laughs) i feel like a real like a machinist (laughs) chasing tents when you have no need to (laughs) yeah (laughs) just to just to uh, do a countersink for a bolt head right but i do want to know why that is the Wait, that. so it's supposed to be setting it to zero. Like yeah. it should. Hmm. I wonder whether it, it is setting it to zero, but then that axis. So like every axis will always drift a little bit off uh-huh. its intended position. So on the Fidal, if you just look at the machine when it's sitting doing nothing, each axis will flicker back and forth around zero. So it'll actually show you like how much error there is in each axis. If you look at it wrong uh no just like <laughs> all the time because uh, basically a servo isn't actually capable of sitting still oh it's like a shark exactly if it stops it dies right mm-hmm. so a, a servo can't tell where it's sitting unless it's getting feedback from the encoder so to sit still what it's actually doing is bouncing back and forth between two encoder positions oh interesting yeah, so it's constantly bouncing back and forth. In order to hold still, that's what it's doing. It's always finding the edge to the right and then the edge to the left and bouncing back and forth. Um, so that's why in some servo systems that are like not tuned well, you'll hear like a hum or a buzz. Yeah, okay. Um, Ours so it, does that, yeah. If, if you like, oh, the Axis does that. Mm-hmm. If you press like start the program, it, it like loads it and then it... it you have to press start again to run it. Right. And it's just like... So I think it's interesting. I said this when you first got that CNC router after I heard it running. Um, You know, and it's a bit surprising because it's an expensive machine, but I'm pretty sure that that machine has stepper motors on it. Yeah, but I I bought the upgrade for servos. Right. So the difference is, though, a stepper motor can be a servo. So if a stepper motor has a, an encoder on it, if it has feedback, then it's technically a servo. Oh, so it's still it's this the motor is like still a, a stepper driver. Yeah, but uh. it's you know it's capable of telling when things are going wrong. So I recently bought a whole bunch of um, closed loop stepper motors and drivers from um, a Chinese manufacturer, and those are like a compromise between servo performance and stepper performance. 
And I think that's what's on your CNC router. Because hmm. they sound like stepper motors. I like, don't know what a stepper motor sounds like. They have that so. very distinctive kind of musical sound. Like they're like, boo -dee -dee -boo, you know, when they're moving different speeds. Huh. Whereas a servo is like a true like brushless servo, like on your Haas, is basically silent. doesn't make okay. any noise. Yeah, it is m very quiet. Yeah. Um, interesting. Well, yeah. That's I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's fine. Um, just open loop steppers, which is what's used on really inexpensive, like entry level CNC routers. The main issue with those is if you run into more resistance than the system's designed for, like if a cut's bogging down or something, it'll lose steps. So it'll actually lose its position, but it has no way of knowing that that's happened. Okay. So then every part of your program from then on will be offset by like right. however much it lost, right? So right. Um, a closed loop stepper will just detect that that's happening. And then the older closed loop steppers, they would just throw an error. They'd be like, oh shit, you know, something's wrong. The newer ones, like the ones that I just bought, they actually feed more power into the motor, just like a servo motor would, hmm. um, which is super cool. So, so what are you using those for? Um, secret? A secret, yeah. No, I actually, I want to build a couple of little, fairly simple CNC routers. Um, like, I'd like to build one for, for business doing or my... pleasure? Both, sir. Both. Ah. Um, yeah, like, I'd build, like to build one for just cutting my Kydex, right? Because, right. like, doing my Kydex sheaths, I only need one fixture, I only need one tool. Um, but whenever I need to do that, I have to tie up the VMC. Right. You know, like it seems silly to tie up a VMC for something that simple when I could be machining blades. You know, so um, yeah, I'd like to do that. We'll see. Nice, cool. What's the design going to be? Like just a seriously simple, like uh, extruded aluminum. Um, no, it wouldn't be that simple. I'll I'll probably use aluminum plate. Okay. I found a place local to me that water jets aluminum plate for a really reasonable price. Um. So I might do a lot of it out of like water jet aluminum plate, um, you know, with proper linear rails and and ball screws and the closed loop stepper motors and that kind of stuff. So like they'd be a pretty serious little machine, but it won't be like a Haas, you know. Right. Uh, well, that's exciting. Yeah, it should be fun. Well, we'll see. I've got so many friggin' projects on the mm -hmm. go. You know. <laughs> do you like to put that like a uh, pressure on yourself? Buy the stuff. If I buy it, it's happening. Um, yeah, and I mean, what, what I tend to do is, like, I'll get in, really interested in a project, I'll go and find the suppliers, you know, for the relative relevant parts, and then I'll buy, I won't buy all of the parts for the machine, I'll buy a couple here and there, just to test them out, see whether those suppliers good, you know, muck around with the, with the parts, um, and then sometimes they'll end up in that part, sometimes in that system, sometimes they'll end up in being used for something completely different, sometimes they don't get used at all, and they just end up and I use them two years later for something else, you know? Right. Where do you keep all this stuff? <laughs> in in big blue tubs. Right. Yeah. At I home. mean, I don't, I don't buy that much crazy stuff. I just sometimes when I think something, you know, could be fun or useful, I'll buy some stuff. I'm not like just, you know, buying servos every day just because, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did service. put, I did put a pretty serious hurt on my credit card today. Oh, what'd you buy? Uh, mean, not nothing too crazy. It's just you know sometimes when you're like buying materials and stuff, you just have a day where, it, like, I don't know. I the, yesterday and today were kind of like admin days. Yeah. And today was like you know, re restocking day, and so mm -hmm. I just like, I bought um, 
close to like 600 bucks worth of materials for the fixturing for the kitchen knives. Oh, wicked. That I want to work on, which should be exciting. So oh, the, aluminum? Uh, the base is a one inch thick water jet cut um, aluminum plate. So 6061 T6 aluminum plate. One inch thick. Um, and I, the reason I had it water jet was just so, same same reason you guys cut your fixture plate on the CNC router rather than on the Haas, so that I can have the actual plate itself be bigger than the machinable area of my CNC. Right. And that way I'm not wasting any space for like hold down bolts and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, just that plate by itself is pretty pricey. It's like 250 bucks worth of aluminum. Wow. Um, and then the the there'll be like, individual replaceable stations on the top of that made of steel each one will be pinned using dowel pins um so it can be taken off and replaced in the same position if need be mm-hmm. or it can be taken off and remachined and a new new one put in place if need okay. be okay so it's not going to be like a pallet system it's going to be single purpose yeah it is kind of a pallet system um because i actually have holes bored in the table of my cnc machines right um, you get a lot of same... flack for that <laughs> a couple of people were like oh my god why would you do that but like who cares it's a 25 year old cnc machine you know yeah. like i'm gonna use them i mean like if somebody else if i decide to sell them down the road and somebody else is like oh I'll take 3k off for those holes <laughs> they'd be like no man like they're in the right place they're nice bored holes like who cares, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that means I can just locate the fixtures on there. So the, the, the fixtures that I make have dowel pins um, in the bottom protruding in the same pattern as the holes in the table. I just chuck them in. And then when I'm not using the holes, I actually put dowel pins in the holes. But I use um, dowel pins, what they call pull dowel pins. So the dowel pins have like a threaded hole in one end. Okay. Which yeah. means I can yeah, just yeah. yank them out. Like I can guarantee right. that I can get them back out, you know, even though they're flush. Okay. That's yeah. Smart. Yeah. I bought I bought some of those a while ago thinking that they would be good for um the dowel pins that we use for our bodies that we ha- we've now used phenolic dowel pins. Right. Right. Um they're nice, yeah. Yeah. They're a bit pricey, but like who cares? Mm-hmm. Like I'm only buying like ten of them ever, you know. Yeah, so. I think that was my my issue. Yeah, if you're going to be using them every time in like a consumable fashion, then yeah. Yeah, they're also, they were hard to kind of, they kind of were still hard to pull out uh, right. for as often as we were pulling them out. Right. Pretty frequently. Yeah, and I mean, so if if you do decide to revisit that, usually they're hard to pull out because there's a vacuum. So if right. you grind a flat down one side of the dowel pin, usually that lets enough air in underneath that they're a lot easier to get out. Nice. Um yeah, I think um, we're going to switch over to just using uh, pins and bushings. Right. Uh, the, like the ones we bought from McMaster Car for, for the, right. the fixture blades. The, the, the right. pallet system. Fixturing pins and the diamond yeah. pins and so on. Yeah. And I think we're going to actually actually embed the, the bushing into the body of mm. the guitar. Cause, and that'll live with it until it's, until it's finished. Cut out. Right. And then we can just retrieve them. Hmm, I'm gonna put a, like a, a access um, cutout on either side of the of the bushing, so we can pry it out with a flat drive screwdriver. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool idea, man. I think it'll be nice. It'll be, you know, it'll be a slip fit versus like the compression fit we're doing right now. So it'll make things just right a little easier. And you're gonna have a vacuum to hold them down, whereas currently you're kind of 
counting on the pins to hold them down a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, that's for the bodies. We're, we're bolting the bodies down. Oh, that's fine. Nice, so, man. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. The other thing that I bought today that I'm very excited about is, um, so I have to give a shout out to MW Blades on Instagram. Um, so I've been using mold polishing stones for a really long time to do the finishing on my blades. Um, so they're kind of like a little sharpening stone. Yeah. Um, but they're made, you can buy them in like lots of different um, grades. So they have different abrasives. So the ones I use are all silicon carbide. And then the bond that holds the, the abrasive grains together is different. So you can buy like hard bonds, medium bonds, soft bonds. Okay. And um, so it's imagine, imagine like having shot uh sandpaper that like self sharpens right right like a grinding wheel yeah kind of they like they get worn away as you're using them and the fact that they wear away exposes fresh abrasive which means they keep cutting you know right um because like you know sandpaper on wood really you throw it out when it clogs yes like whereas sandpaper on metal particularly hardened steel you actually like dull the abrasive grains um right so yeah and i've been using mold polishing stones for a really long time i'm gonna do a video on them soon because i think they're kind of like a a secret you know like so many people don't use them it's crazy to me they cut your hand finishing time on hardened steel in half mold polishing stones yeah yeah so the reason they're called mold polishing stones is because they're originally designed for polishing plastic injection molds ah i gotcha yeah so you'd have you would like back in the day um to do really complicated molds they would uh rough them when the materials uh, when the steel is soft, then they would send them out for heat treat. Then they would bring them back and start finish machining them. Sorry, if you can hear in the background, my dog is going crazy right now. She's just oh, her blanket. I can't hear. Um, they would do the like finishing cuts, and then they would use um, a sinker EDM, an electric discharge machining um, machine, to cut some more of the features. And then they'd have to have a guy, like it, literally, uh, they'd be doing bench work, so they'd have a guy by hand polishing an injection mold that might be like you know several square feet worth of wow. hardened steel and these Just by be- hand yeah by hand and you might have to polish them to like a mirror finish holy um and be out of that industry so you, mold polishing stones were developed for that and then you know they have like really fancy pencil die grinders like air air driven die grinders right um for like polishing and shaping stuff um and they also made these uh, reciprocating lapping machines. So it's an air-powered machine that actually holds one of the EDM stones and then will reciprocate the stone like a little, kind of like an inline sander. Um, and it'll actually push the stone back and forth like 18,000 times a minute. Wow. What's it called? Um, they're called air, air lappers um, or like I a pneumatic file. Up um so yeah mw blades on instagram posted a video of using um an air lapper with the stones and i'd looked at them a bunch of times back in the day and i'd always been like oh they're too expensive but i have no idea why i was thinking that because they're like buying like a really good one from a reputable company is like 300 bucks us (laughs) yeah wow you know like not that expensive um you know so it's kind of funny like on the show we talk about like automation and like I don't know. It's really easy to think of automation as like, you know, robots and all this crazy shit. But like, uh, this little machine is going to let me automate me automate like moving my hands back and forth. Right. You know, like you're it's a it's a hand tool, but an efficient one. 
Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that because my body's been, my arms and my right elbow in particular has been giving me trouble when I'm hand finishing lots Ooh. of blades. So Yeah. Well, that's, that's super exciting. I mean, it's going to be only a matter of time before you want to build a robot to hold this device. <laughs> right. And then move <laughs> it around. Yeah. I mean, you totally could, right? Um, so maybe. So does this DW Blades, does he have a video of himself doing this? Yes. He posted it on his Instagram. So, so it's M- MW Blades. Oh, MW, my bad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so he actually bought a really inexpensive one off Amazon. He sent me the link to it. It was like 50 bucks. I was like, holy crap. And I looked at a few of them. And the only problem I could see was that they didn't seem to list the stroke length. And that's kind of a vital um, like parameter for these for these machines because you can get them in all sorts of different stroke lengths from like 0.1 millimeters all the way up to like three millimeters of stroke okay um and the stroke length that you want depends on like what grit of stones you're using and you know how big of an area you're finishing right um so if you're if you're like polishing an injection mold and you have to polish like little tiny slots or something you might want the 0.1 millimeter stroke length because otherwise you're going to be hitting this the edge or the side of the slots, you know. Right. Whereas for a knife, you're kind of finishing a larger flat surface. So I went with um, a 1.2 millimeter stroke length. So yeah, hopefully that should be arriving next week. I'm super excited to try that out. Wow. Will you post a video of that? Oh, 100. percent Oh, I'm actually going to post a whole video on like how to use mold polishing stones because I there's only one or two other videos out there showing them. So I, makers. I, on your, I think, suggestion oh, years ago, bought a Lansky sharpening kit. Mm-hmm. That is not a mold polishing stone. <laughs> Actually, they might be using mold polishing stones as the sharpening thing for the Lansky. Like that might be where they're getting their stones from. Oh, okay. So this just, they just put it on a piece of plastic. Yeah, basically. And like it could, I don't know what kind of grade they're using. They're probably using like a hard bond right. aluminum oxide stone, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, like the stones that I use, if you use them in a sharpening system, they would wear way too quickly. Okay. Um, but the faster the stones wear, the faster they cut. Oh, interesting. Right. So, because they're always exposing, that, that means they are exposing fresh abrasive more quickly. But do you have to lap them flat? No. So basically you have to just develop a technique um, if you were polishing an injection mold, then yeah, you might have to shape the stones, right? You right. might have to keep reshaping them so that you don't distort the feature that you're um, polishing. But when you're um, sanding a knife, you just kind of develop a technique to move the pressure around to keep the stone in a shape that is right. useful. So like you're even, even where? Yeah, so basically I'll, I, I hold it at like... Um, so I hold it kind of like if you were um, kind of like an eraser, like uh, not like a pencil, not like that, like 45 degrees, more like uh, quite an, almost like a chisel. Okay. A chisel is a better, better analogy, actually. You're talking my language. Yeah. So, you know, at a relatively shallow angle relative to the blade. And then I'm kind of using one hand to apply pressure. So I've got two fingers on the back of the stone applying pressure downwards, and I'm using the other hand to move it around. That makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, and as I wear a flat, you know, so you'll be wearing a flat on the stone, and then the end of the stone, the tip of the stone, will start getting really thin. And as soon as it starts getting thin, then I use the the tip, that thin tip of the stone, to get into the plunge line of the blade, right. and that kind of blunts the tip of the stone again. And then I go back and do the bevel. So, so I kind of switch back and forth. Fast? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I one stone probably lasts for like ten bleeds. Oh wow! Okay. Um, crazy. Yeah, and like it literally, like you can see material coming off the stone and forming a slurry on the blade as you're using it. Okay, cool. Um, they're so amazing. Can... They are amazing. Like they from compared to sandpaper, I would say they cut your finishing time in half, and they probably cut your materials cost in half as well. Right, sandpaper is wildly expensive. Yeah, I would say like you know, on one knife, you're probably using two sheets of sandpaper. You know, like that's like two bucks. It's not. It's not a lot, but one mold polishing stone is like four bucks, and then it lasts for ten knives. Oh yeah, so you know, like that's good. That's a that's a big difference over time. Yeah, like a sheet of sandpaper can be a buck. It is. It yeah. Doesn't that seem expensive? No. Yes. If I had to I make know. it, if I had to make it, they'd be like five bucks each. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But um, but yeah, I, mean, I get what you're this, like uh, f- finish. It's the funniest thing because they're made in Finland and it's for mm. Finnish. Right. Um, nobody else thinks that's funny, I guess. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. Sorry. Yeah. I'm slow. Thank you. Is Thank that um, Saya, Saya what or whatever it's Merka. called? Merka. Merka. Yeah, right. Yeah. They use that a lot in like um, auto body shops and stuff, right? I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I we just really like it. We, we experimented with a couple different ones and this i mean we've been using this stuff for probably five years now right nice. so i haven't thought too much about it but yeah i think you're right <laughs> i think it's the place we get it from definitely uh is supplying auto industry right because i know they sell those like um the mesh sandpaper that like yeah has like a yeah yeah that stuff's great yeah. um that stuff's great when you get sick of aligning the holes in a like <laughs> a disc sandpaper yeah, with the uh, the holes in your sander, your yeah. orbital, yeah. which you wouldn't think would be that annoying, but it's really it annoying. annoying. And I'm like, I want them to be perfectly aligned, right? <laughs> and they never are, right? I saw something the other day that like it made me want it, even though I don't really have a use for it. I think, which was it's a tiny orbit uh, air powered orbital sander. The um, like how tiny? Like the discs are like one inch in diameter. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. It just looked really cute. We have a three inch, which feels pretty oh, yeah. small. We never use it. We use a five inch. Well, I was looking at it. And I was like, hmm, I wonder whether I could use like an orbital sander to do blades. Yeah, I <laughs> wonder. I do want to experiment at some point. So like, you know, as I said, the the mold polishing guys, you know, they will do like an injection mold to a mirror finish. Like yeah. for like an optical mold or even for just something random like... um like an Xbox controller, you know, like on the Xbox controller, there's like a matte plastic on the top. And then the bottom is like a glossy plastic. And to make that glossy plastic, they have to mirror polish the mold. Right. Right. Like it's, it's nuts. But the way they do that is with um, like a diamond lapping paste on like felt bobs on a die grinder. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's how we polish our guitars to a a high gloss is with um, liquid compounds. Right. And uh, a, a, a foam pad. Right. Yeah, I kind of want to do effective. that on a knife. Oh, man, that'd be so cool. I kind of want to do it. I want a high gloss knife. <laughs> One day. One day. Um, yeah. Uh, we, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I feel like there's, there's people who've dedicated their entire lives to polishing or in sanding. Yeah. 
yeah it's a whole sub sub section of uh uh of manufacturing well it's kind of interesting too because like as i said like i've learned a lot from mold polishing guys right but it, nowadays if you go in like a machinist forum and you ask like a mold polishing question and i actually did this the other day i was like what stroke length do i choose for this for this um pneumatic lapper you know i have no idea and no one could really answer me because mold polishing is kind of a dying art oh right like in china lots of injection molds still get hand finished but in the u.s in order to compete against inexpensive injection molds like U.S. companies seem to have mostly gone to hard milling, so they'll they'll you know buy incredibly high end machines like a Makino F5, which is capable of producing like a mirror finish right out of the CNC machine. Oh well, I mean that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty sick. Yeah, and then they just run it unattended, you know, for like three or four days straight, and then you end up with like a finished mold. I mean, obviously, it's a lot harder than that, but but you know, like they're they're literally exchanging that like manual labor, which is really expensive um, in a developed country for machine time. Right. Um, also, are they a lot of like molds etched to have like a pattern, like a texture? Yes, I believe that. that. I don't know if it's to avoid that, but it'd be for like wear purposes, right? Oh. So like. The Kydex um, that I buy for my injection molds is finished with a, uh, a texture called hair cell. And the reason that they do that is so that it doesn't show wear. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Um, and yeah, I believe those are still like photo etched or laser etched. Um, yeah, cool. They don't really machine them. There's somebody I follow on Instagram. I should, before I even say this, find out who. But they do <laughs> molds. Oh, um, and they do the texturing? They do the texturing. Please send me a link to that. Uh, yeah, please send me a link to that. I'd be really curious. Um, so I've actually tried a couple of times now to do texturing in CAD to 3D print parts that have a texture already on them. And that cool. process is utterly, utterly brutal. Like I have crashed Fusion 360 multiple times and made it completely unusable. Made it. I've actually made it so you cannot open a drawing. <laughs> <laughs> is it just so because it's uh the complexity of yeah yeah like uh, overlaying a pattern yeah so like making so basically the way you would do it is you make like a 3d a 2d sketch and then you would like project that pattern onto your 3d part and kind of like emboss it into the part right the problem is that fusion really doesn't like it when you put like ten thousand elements in a sketch um it just seems to bring it to its knees trying to compute <laughs> all of that right um yeah, and like as I said, I've literally made drawings that like crashed Fusion, and then I like couldn't open them again because when you try and open them, Fusion's like trying to do that thing that crashed it. You know? Right. So it's just forever lost. Uh, no, it was fine. I just like reverted to an older version, and then it was you know mm. back again. But like, yeah, it's an interesting problem. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Molds are crazy. They are something you wouldn't think is so complicated. Well. Yeah, I guess so. You just never think about it. Yeah, I mean, all well, the these plastic parts. You're like, well, they make this out of like some better material, but like, the yeah, thought that went into making that. The thing that boggles my mind is like going to the dollar store. I mean, if you're going to go to the dollar store and buy a dollar store toothbrush, which I, I don't know if I'd recommend that, but let's <laughs> say you do, and that toothbrush has like glossy surfaces on it. You know, right? Like, the mold that made that toothbrush is probably worth like fifty grand. Right, you know, hundred grand. Yeah, so we had um, uh, 
we have like these nameplates that go on to that we affix to our cases, the guitar right. cases. We had them made locally, okay. and they are the shape of our logo, which is hexagon. And to make that shape in sheet in the metal, it's like a, it's brushed aluminum. Mm. Uh, they they quoted us to have a mold made, and it was something like five or six thousand dollars. Oh, to have like a die to cut to them have, out of the have sheet? a die, maybe yeah. Right. So it's not a plastic mold, different thing, right. I suppose, but. Yeah, but still, still, it's yeah, yeah. It was so expensive. They ended up actually laser cutting them. That makes total sense for your quantity, yeah. But they had they were like just got their laser cutter, so they had some problems with alignment, with mm. aligning it with the because it's it's uh, chemically etched. Uh, with, oh, right. Our logo is chemically etched into it, and then laser cut. So there was like the uh, alignment with our the border of our logo with the actual cutout of the shape. Mm. It's well, problematic, but we might have talked about this out. last week on the show, but there's a company in the States called Send Cut Send. Um, maybe you and I talked about yeah, this I think after we talked the about show, actually. Yeah. yeah. So there's a company in the States called Send Cut Send, and they do on-demand laser cutting. So you can just upload like a DXF file onto their website, and then they just tell you how much it is. And then you get quantity breaks and so on. But they actually do etching as well, oh. like laser etching. So you could have them laser etch and then cut the parts all in one operation straight from the sheet yeah i should get a quote from for that yeah yeah it sounds like it'd be super straightforward something nice about having it made by this local company that we've been buying them off of for like yeah the past yeah, seven years but you know well yeah the problem i have is that like you know so i'm getting these fixture plates water jet cut right and honestly like the company i'm dealing with now they're pretty pretty good like i email them an hour later i get a quote back and i say mm-hmm. yay or nay and then they you know, call me for the credit card details. But but sometimes when you're like prototyping something, you know, for laser cutting, if you have like a bunch of little holes, let's say you have a, like, you know, a 12 inch um, square part. So like a one square foot part with like a hundred holes in it, that's going to cost like, you know, 50 bucks. Whereas mm-hmm. like just a, a one, one, square, uh, one square foot rectangle might be like four bucks right. <laughs> you know like it's really nice to just be able to get an idea of pricing just by like chucking a bunch of files into an automatic quoting system you oh, know you don't fully feel like automatic fully automatic how fast are you getting a quote back instantaneously wow oh that's cool like you just upload your part and it just tells you yeah this part will be twelve dollars for one or like six dollars each for ten you know three dollars each for a thousand like, as a programmer instant. does that impress you um not really (laughs) it's not it's not actually a super complicated problem what impresses me is that people have been so slow to implement this like that seems complicated because it seems like there's a lot of um elements factors i guess so but like you know you just program it once and then it works like for free forever you know like why would you pay someone to manually quote these parts, you know, on an ongoing basis. Like maybe you have to have like three people just in customer service quoting these parts all day long. You know? Well, no, if you can, it's great. I just figured like it'd be difficult with the, you know, it's like what material are you using? Can you like make these selections? Are you yeah, giving yeah, it? Yeah, 100%. Okay, so there's like some drop downs that. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so you choose like a drop down, you choose what material you want, what thickness you want, what finish on the material. Right. Um, you know, do you want deburring? Um, you know, upload your part, and then it tells you how many, and off you go. Okay. For some reason, I was picturing something more complicated, but 
that makes no, sense. Not. You're you're entering a lot of the information yourself. Yeah, and so like just it kind of boggles my mind. I guess that you know people come from industries that aren't used to thinking about things that way about you know automating mm-hmm. the solution, and so the answer, it, the default answer, is just to throw people at it. Right. Right. Like you get a new person, you tell them you know when it looks like this, it costs this much, and then you know <laughs> you just throw people at it. But I guess. So the first company I know of that did this was a company in the States called Oshcut. Um, and they, as far as I know, are an extension of another company called Osh Park. And they were basically doing um, short-run circuit boards. So they had a U.S. manufacturing facility. And you could, like, upload your circuit board design. And to make um, producing, like, you know, one or three circuit boards feasible, mm-hmm. they would batch your circuit boards with a whole bunch of other people's circuit boards and then send that like combined file to a fab to have your circuit board cut. Right. Um, but like until they started doing it, like you couldn't get like three circuit boards. You had to order like a hundred, 500, you know? Right. Um, and then they basically took that same kind of system and started doing it with laser cutting as well. And it totally makes sense, you know? So I think they approached it differently because they were like electronic engineers and software nerds. Right. Um, like me. Well, it is, I mean, these days too, we have, we're just like, people are just used to a certain like timeliness. Yeah. Instant, and, instant gratification. And, and it has to be easy too. Like, I mean, I was thinking uh, this is kind of making me think of when we were deciding what tooling to buy for the Haas, hmm. just mm-hmm. like to, tool holders and we ended up going with Meritool best based on your recommendation and you can just go and click what you're buying on their website yes whereas and there's so many other people in the tooling industry you have to like contact. look through catalogs and there's part oh. numbers and you know you well, have Kenna metal was our other one of the other options and we were going to get like a, a credit uh um, right through Haas. yeah so Haas do like a tooling credit bundled with the machine right yeah um but I mean, Mari Tools prices were still competitive with the discounted pricing on the Gana yeah. Metal stuff, which is just more expensive, probably because they've got dealers or yep uh, that have a markup on it and blah blah blah. Who knows? Um, but it was just like going through their website; it was so confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they they're using different names for the type of tooling, like for Cat Forty, they had like. It was just hard to find even a Cat 40 tool holder. Right. Simply. Yeah, right. Yeah, it does drive me a bit crazy when, you know, and I, I know that I've been guilty of, like, sometimes it's hard when you're looking at your own system. You're like, yeah, that makes sense because you've been indoctrinated into a certain totally. system. But, yeah, like, marital system is just, it's so nice to just be able to, like, look at a tool holder, see a photo of it. They've got, like, PDFs um, and, like, CAD files of the yeah. tool holders. So I don't know whether you found this yet, but um, they actually have a tool library that you can import into Fusion 360, oh. and then it gives you 3D models of every tool holder. Wow, that's great. Um, yeah, and then you can just say, okay, I'm, I've got this tool in this tool holder, and then Fusion will simulate like the tool holder and everything when you're running simulations. Oh, wicked. I like that. Yeah, super um, nice. Yeah, because uh, we are using all the same tool holders right now, but right. I would like to get some like er 20 uh tool holders 
for like holding skinny small noses or something. Yeah. yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So that would be cool to see. You know, the different tool holders represented in the, the yep. cam file. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I do the exact same thing. In fact, I actually like I as you do. Like I so for the kitchen knife fixtures, I downloaded their tool library. I had a look through and I, I picked one out that looked right. And then I simulated it with that tool holder and that tool. I don't even own the tool or the tool holder yet. Like I'm going <laughs> to buy the tool and the tool holder to suit the fixtures and the programs that I'm designing. You know? Yeah. Uh, that Super is nice. Cool. Oh, so yeah. that reminds me, I've been looking at shell mills. Oh. Because we surface our bodies, um, mahogany bodies, and right. they are 15 inches by 18 inches. Mm-hmm. And we're surfacing them right now with a half inch bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so it's it going to take a, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested. The, the, the biggest tool we can hold diameter wise in the uh, side mount tool changer without taking up the, a pocket three, on either three side. Three pockets. Yeah. 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 Is two and a half inches, which that would mean, you know, we're going to surface a body two times sure. faster. Right. Two and a half times faster? Five times faster. Five times faster. Yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. Remind me never to do math uh, on a public (laughs) podcast. Uh, So I'm looking at, uh, they've got a 45 degree uh, shell mill. Yeah. That looks nice and some... um, uh, Yeah, the SEHT inserts, is that the one? uh, The Corloy ones? Well, yeah, so they'll have um, like a designation. So I think the ones that you're looking at are SAHT. So they're square inserts with S-A- a 45 degree. Yeah. Um, SHIT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real, real mature. So I'm just jumping on the website now. Uh, two and a half inch diameter. It, it, it should be, right? Uh, Such a oh, SAH, SAHW. Uh, S E H T. And then yeah, yeah. The ones so, I'm looking at are the uh, Corloy, the aluminum specific ones, right? The, yeah, um, really the, sharp, shiny ones. The sharp, shiny ones. Yes, yeah. So those are S A H T. Yeah. So that would be exactly what I'd recommend. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Good to know. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. That's an option. Yeah. I can imagine. I'm actually, I've been looking at that same tool for a while. Mm. Um, I haven't Should quite justified these? it. <laughs> we just share it, send it back and forth. I haven't quite justified it yet. I don't know how those inserts are going to deal with hardened steel. Mm. That's one thing that I'm a little curious about. Is there an insert that would work better for that? Yes. So uh, that shape of insert, so the SEH shape, um, yeah. they have a bunch of different like geometries. So you can right. get ones with like... Um, they have like rounded over corners. So it produces like a negative rake tool, which uh-huh. is very tough. Um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be something. I just, I have to try it. Right. Yeah, it's a bit of a barrier to entry with the, the price. So it's like 126.55. Just USD for the... USD for the shell mill. Yeah, and then, then you need a holder. The holder, I think is 115 bucks as well. And then five inserts. Yes. So the total for the tool is going to come out to like 300 bucks. Yeah. So the benefit of buying a more expensive shell mill like that is the pockets need to be 
positioned really precisely with regards to each other to make sure that you get a nice surface finish, mm -hmm. right? Because if the pockets are all like high or low relative to another, then each insert will cut high or low and you'll end up with a streaky, shitty finish. Right. Um, that may not matter so much in wood because it's really hard to see whether like one insert is like one thou high, mm -hmm. you know, whereas in like hardened steel, it'd be really, really obvious. Right. Um, but tool wear as well would be a consideration. Like if one tool is doing most of the doing, work. Yeah. Then. Yeah. I don't think, again, I don't think it's going to be a big deal in wood or in phenolic, but yeah, in steel, it, it definitely is more of a big deal. We get it. Steel's harder to cut. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just make wood knives then. I'm just making sure I'm putting you in your place, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are cheaper options, right? Like I'm not going to mention them. I, I don't, you know, necessarily condone some of the cheaper options. Um, particularly for shell mills, because I kind of worry about them like coming apart. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I, I did see. Not ideal. So, It'd be like a bullet. Right. So in the automotive industry, they use shell mills sometimes that are up to like 12 inches in diameter. Oh, cool. These yeah. are terrifying things. So imagine a, sh a 12 inch diameter shell mill with like potentially only one cutting insert. Um, so it's kind it's of like a fly, called a fly, fly cutter. Mill. Yeah. Fly cutter, yeah. Um, on like a cat 40 tool holder. So like the tool holder itself is like two inches in diameter and then it's got like a 12 inch bar sticking out of it. And they use these for facing um, cylinder heads. So like parts of engines that have to be really flat to mm -hmm. mate together. Mm -hmm. But I did see a video of, of what happens when one of those comes apart. Oh, so wait. they had this thing spun up to like 7,000 RPM or something, something stupid. And wow, 7,000 RPM at the <laughs> spindle? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how fast is that? Is the tool moving? Oh, God knows. Like, but it, so it went through the machine enclosure, went through <laughs> a concrete block, and then no. came out in another room. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's wicked. And the video Did you post was like. that video in the show notes? <laughs> I'll have, yeah, I'll have to see. Uh, they, they showed the, like, the tool holder like embedded in a wall in the other room and did like, like that was the operator standing there and the top half, half of his body just slips <laughs> yeah right like of one of those body? yeah like in one of those vampire movies exactly <laughs> uh that's cool right well so the two and a half inch shell mill seems a little less scary but okay if you think yeah. about it, a jointer like ours have straight blades but you can get a jointer for surfacing a, a piece of wood that's like 20 inches wide that has 70 80 100 i don't know uh inserts right. in them right it's basically like a massive shell mill yeah it's like they call that like a corn cob mill corn yeah. cob insert mill yeah. right yeah yeah it sounds terrifying yeah we had we used to have one uh in a combination uh planer uh jointer it right. was nice spinning at like 3000 rpm yeah, and it was silent. Ooh. Um, Before we go, look, Nick, you and I, we could shoot the shit for uh, forever, and we have. But before we go, we should answer some questions. Don't right. you think? Deal. Don't you think? All right. They're all going to be for you about knives. No, they're not, actually. They're not. No. One thing, so we have, uh, before we have any questions, we have a couple of suggestions. So Wing and Wave Designs on Instagram sent me a post which is hilarious do i don't know if we talked about this last week actually the fingerbot plus it's just like a little <laughs> robot that just presses a button okay it's hilarious so he suggested that for turning off my compressor nice 
then I could just attach that. I did actually find a really nice solution for turning off my compressor. I bought all the parts today. Um, I'm actually going to be able to integrate it into the compressor package. Like it's going to be How fully so? built in. So in the front of the compressor, there's um, all of the control circuitry is built on this stuff called DIN rail, um, which is like a steel rail, like one and a half inches tall mm-hmm. that like relays and stuff will snap onto. Um, and there's some blank areas in there where I could put more stuff. And I actually found that you can buy programmable timers that are DIN rail mountable. So you can say every day at 11 p.m., even accounting for daylight savings time, ah, um, fancy. turn this relay on and off for one second. And then that little relay will just be connected to 110 volts AC and to a solenoid, like a magnetic pushy thing <laughs> and the solenoid be on the outside of the machine and it'll just press its own off button <laughs> wow so simple yeah it's gonna be super simple the only problem is if you want like a really nice like ul csa certified um din rail mounted timer they're like a 100 bucks from mcmaster from digikey okay the ones from mcmaster were like 250 bucks mm, but it's mcmaster yeah, I know. So yeah, the solution's gonna be really nice, but wing and wave design uh, designs, I really do appreciate that. Uh, he he said he was laughing when he found it on Kickstarter. He was like, <laughs> he listened to the podcast the day before and then found that on Kickstarter the day after. <laughs> Good find. Yeah, we should all get finger bots, right? Just find something to do with them. <laughs> um, and J dot Barry underscore knives on Instagram made a suggestion for a twelve hundred dollar CNC router. Oh, great. Because we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago for Baltic Blades. So there's a company called Millwright, uh, which is spelled M-I-L-L-R-I-G-H-T. And they have a machine called the Carve King. Um, and that looks a lot kind of like the Shapeoko, same kind of form factor. But it has lead screws on all axes rather than the belts. Nice. Um, and it comes with a, a router for the spindle oh, um, yeah, yeah. as like part of the like package. Yeah, and it's $1,200. It, it looks pretty decent. Nice, and it's the king of of mills, the king of carving, yeah, king king of carving, right? There you go. So yeah, that might be an option um, for Baltic blades for um, you know that you know twelve hundred dollar ish CNC router score. So well, they got yeah. some other more expensive options too. Yes, Ooh. they have um, like bigger ones. That one's like seventeen inches by seventeen, and then they have bigger ones that are more expensive and and more like robust ones. Oh, they do too. Okay, cool. I I didn't have a super thorough look through the website. I will admit. Um, excellent suggestion. Yes, exactly. And then we have a question for you, actually, Nick. So, real penny pincher on Instagram asked, "Are there any tour videos of your shop and your CNC gear?" Um, you know, we've been meaning to do a proper shop tour. So, Mm. my apologies, we don't have that. But what we do have is like a, we uh, shot a video with Blundstone, the boot company. Mm. And they did like, I haven't watched it in a while. Uh, but they did like a little walkthrough of our shop or we did a little walkthrough of our shop. So you can check that on our website, frankbrothersguitars.com or frankbgc.com. Uh, and if you want to see more stuff from our shop, though, we do post videos on our Instagram which is at Frank underscore brothers. And we'll often post stories of random stuff, including like the CNC running and um, 
mm-hmm. whatever else we're up to. Do you so guys have a, a YouTube channel? Check it out. We do. We don't have a ton on there. Uh, we do have, and it's there's a lot of like uh, demo videos. Or not a lot, but there's some demo right. videos of the guitars being played. Uh, right. So, but do I you want to do more like I do? Yeah, shop I, I stuff. Like, yeah. Um, I want to. I want to become a, a YouTube celeb like you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'd be down to like help you guys shoot some stuff if you wanted to. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, um, I'm gonna look myself up on 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 YouTube. YouTube. We have 15 videos. Oh, nice. That's uh, good. some. Well, I think the majority of them are uh, the guitar being played. But there is one called making a bow tie headstock that's what we call our headstock design right it's sort of shaped like a bow tie and you can see uh part of the 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 process on the cnc and how we inlay oh, our okay, binding cool. so yeah you can check that out nice sweet I bump the views up bump them up thousands my, tens my, of thousands uh, i'm coming my dream of becoming a youtube uh a professional youtuber come true <laughs> harder than you'd think (laughs) (laughs) i imagine yeah um and then scott hoadley on instagram uh he asked two questions but i'm going to get to the first one because it's actually very on topic he said any recommendations for learning fusion 360 and uh, this is actually funny because i actually recorded uh the first in a tutorial series uh over the weekend Mm. Um, so I'm going to be releasing that soon. So the very first one is going to be just a very basic intro, like fusion 101, you know? Right. Um, and then the next one I'm going to be doing is a knife, like making a knife start to finish in fusion. Um, and that'll be a bit more advanced cause you're doing like sweeps and components and all sorts of interesting stuff. Right. Um, and then I'm also going to do, um, cam in fusion 360. So like, um, tools and tool paths and all that kind of stuff so it sounds like that might be good for scott hoadley and it also sounds i'm guessing nick that you are getting into fusion yeah i'm i'll be watching those for sure sweet so yeah i think they'll be going on my youtube channel within the next couple of weeks Um, how exciting yeah learn from the master well i don't know about that (laughs) i I even say in the video like fusion is a huge program these days like right there's like they have a sheet metal um, workspace in Fusion, specifically just for doing sheet metal. And then you can actually use that for designing like um, cardboard boxes that'll like oh, fold cool. up and snap together and stuff too. Right? That's like, wicked. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy how deep that program is these days. Yeah. Awesome. When, like what's the history behind Fusion 360? Uh, I think Autodesk made it as like um, kind of like a modernized or simpler version of inventor which is one of their kind of industrial design 3d products okay um and then like autodesk were originally famous for doing architectural software Mm -hmm. um so then i think inventor was their kind of like entry into the industrial design space and then fusion is kind of like i don't know i think it was originally designed as like the more accessible kind of entry level thing but then it's i think it's kind of taken off you know yeah i mean it seems to be sort of becoming a uh, a favorite yeah and i think a big part of that is just that like so solidworks was originally the favorite and like solidworks and fusion in a lot of ways when fusion started in particular were very similar but there was no like really easy way to get into solidworks unless you had like an educational license and then you couldn't use it for commercial stuff right 
Um, whereas Fusion, when it started, they had, uh, like, they do still have some very attractive licenses for people that are just getting started with it. Like, if you're doing non-commercial stuff, you can have, like, a hobby license. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lets you do most things. Um, and then they have a startup license that is free if you're um, doing a startup business for the first year. Right. That's, uh, I, I think I have that, had that. Or yeah. Probably expired now, but... I had that too. And then they changed the, originally you could have it for as long as you wanted, as long as you made under like 160 grand a year or 250K or something in the business. And then they changed it so that it's only free for the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, I pay like 750 bucks Canadian a year for Fusion. Um, Not bad. I mean, it's pretty powerful software. Yeah. I mean, I, I still kind of grimace every time I pay that. But if I was to use anything else, like One Shape or sorry, on shape or um, SolidWorks or whatever, they'd all be like double or triple that right? at the minimum, you know? So cool. yeah, for what you get, I think Fusion's a good deal. So we're all going to learn Fusion or me, me and Scott are going to learn Fusion from. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really isn't too bad. Like I'm, I'm trying to keep it really basic. Like you don't have to learn every tiny nook and cranny to just start making shit. Yeah. You know? Um, so there are also, you, uh, you know, some, some great YouTube tutorials though on yes that I, and I've, I've done them, uh, where you make a specific object in, yep. um, you know, with somebody essentially like you follow yeah, along like Bob Ross and, um, yep. those are, those are a really cool way to learn just some of the basic things. Yeah. And that's exactly how I'm structuring how to extrude well. something and yep. whatever chamfer or something. Yeah, you make like and a Lego ex- block. Really cool. <laughs> it's funny that you said that because that's exactly what I'm doing in the first video. Oh, nice. I don't know whether there are other tutorials doing that, but that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing in the first first video. Nice. I think um, it's a great shape for that because it's extruded. It's sort of like a, a thin wall. Um, yep. It's got. Yeah, it's got. It's a good shape. I don't know why, but. <laughs> well, yeah. Shape. So one of the things I did with my tutorial is I made sure that you're doing everything in a parametric fashion. So the last thing we do after making the Lego block is actually go through and change it until it doesn't look like a Lego block at all, just by changing dimensions. Oh, cool. And then the whole drawing restructures itself. Everything, you know, is still correct in relation to each other, but you change like the height, you change the number of little knob, uh, nubs on the top. Oh, wicked. That's um, the great. size of the nubs, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, everything's parametric. That's really cool. Um, and it's very, very simple. Like that doesn't add any complexity to the to the design. Will um, you do the cam for that object? Uh, I will do the cam for an object. I'm not sure if it will be the Lego block, but yes, whatever I do, like if I do a cam tutorial for a different object, then I will You'll include do the, CAD the drawing. Well. Yeah, well, we won't, we probably won't do the CAD, but we'll, I'll like, you know, upload the draw the CAD file so you can just download it. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of halfway through filming the second one. Um, and those should be coming out over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, month, something like that. Great. Yeah. Should be good. Man, I think that's a show, dude. Like we, we yeah, covered a lot of ground. Yeah. That was fun. Good. It's all too easy. It's yeah. It's, it's so easy for us to talk for hours. I know we chatted after the show for a while last time we should have just kept rolling we probably will this time too (laughs) (laughs) no man so yeah work late night uh i I gotta get back to it 
Oh, that's true. All right. I've got to go eat cookies. Oh. Yeah. I'm at home. I'm going to go eat cookies and, I don't know, watch Drive to Survive or something. <laughs> um, sick. Yeah. Sounds like, a, sounds like a Friday night, not a Wednesday night. Well, I, you've got to make every night Friday night if you can. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, cool. I hope you have a good week. I hope everyone has a good week. And I'll see you again next week. Looking forward to it. All right, everyone. Goodbye. Have a good week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.